Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard, and you're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcast. My guest today is Michelle Thompson. Automation and outsourcing saved Michelle's sanity. After a life-altering stroke at the age of 36, she had to start all over again, from a successful MBA in finance to a second-grade IQ level overnight. Since her stroke, she's had to learn how to automate and outsource as much as humanly possible. It touches everything she does. Now she is on a mission to help free you from all the unnecessary tasks you do. And she'll stop at nothing to help you get your freedom back. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Yes. And I'm excited about hearing about this automation because everyone is so busy these days. <laughs> Very excited Absolutely. about this interview. But uh, we want people to get to know you. So um, tell us your story, where you grew up, how you started out and, and how this life event happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up uh, on the East Coast of the United States. So um, I grew up in a little town called Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. And um, actually went to college there went to college right outside Philadelphia, and then uh, ended up doing my MBA right outside Chicago in a little tiny place called Clinton, Illinois. Um, and ironically, I started out in the psychology field. Uh, so my bachelor's is actually in psychology. And um, learned pretty quickly that uh, 80 hours a week and $25,000 a year just spells burnout for a lot of people. Um, So it was basically I was going to go back and either get my uh, master's and PhD in counseling or, um, you know, I needed to find a different road. And I got really interested in in finance. And uh, so I actually went back to school to get uh, my MBA in finance, uh, which is uh, kind of why I shifted that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, while I was going through school, I kind of worked in the um, insurance and financial advisor world. Um, so I did that for about six years. Um, and then uh, actually took a job as a project controls manager on the other side of the United States. Um, so I, I moved out to the state of Washington, where we were actually um, helping to uh, clean up uh, the Hanford Project, uh, which is uh, cleaning up the atomic bomb from uh, World War II. Uh, so that was really, really neat. It was neat to be able to use my education um, to do something that was like so cool, like to be able to help with that. Um, so basically my job there was to make sure that we were on time and under budget. So basically I ran around and made sure the guys got their stuff done. <laughs> um, and that was, that was awesome. I did that for about uh, two, three years. I was super, super happy in that job. Um, and then one day at work, um, I, uh, all of a sudden couldn't see the computer screen. Uh, it was really weird. It was like the end of the day and, and we usually worked uh, four 10 hour days. Um, so it was close to the end of the week. And I, we joked around a lot at work. We had a lot of fun. And so I said, I said to my friend Kim, I was like, Hey, I can't see the computer screen. She's like, very funny. I was like, no, really, I can't. There's like a straight line across. And uh, she's like, oh, okay. So like we called 911 and um, went to the hospital and found out, um, that I had what was called a TIA, um, or a mini stroke. And, um, so they didn't think too much of it. And, uh, actually went to work the, uh, the next Monday and, um, 
got there and sat down at my computer and just couldn't remember anything. Uh, I couldn't remember how to do an Excel formula. I couldn't remember. Uh, and I was just like, what in the world is going on? And um, so I went into my boss's office and I was like, you know, hey, I think somebody better double check my work today. Like, I, I don't know. I just don't feel right. And he's like, okay, we need to get you back to the hospital. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so when they did, they, they did a little more investigating and found out that uh, the TIA had actually uh, been a, a stroke itself. And, um, they guessed, uh, after about six months of what happened was, uh, a blood clot had actually gone to my brainstem and had, uh, cut off oxygen for eh, about their guessing, um, three to four minutes. And so, uh, when that happened, it just, it was like, um, almost like a chalkboard, right? So like, if you could just, you know, you know how you can race stuff on a chalkboard, it, that's exactly what happened. Like literally everything was just gone. Like I couldn't remember. And, um, we didn't realize how bad it was until I, like I, I was at Burger King and I handed them a 20 and I got like $2 and 20 cents back. And I like only ordered like a, like a whopper. And I was like, okay, and I know I should be getting more money back, but I don't know what I should be getting back. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh. And, uh, and so I was like, okay, we, <laughs> this isn't good. Um, so ended up going to, you know, um, lots of neurologists and, um, we did lots of testing and, and found, um, that it, it was, we, we had some significant brain damage and, and it was permanent. Uh, I wasn't going to get it back. And so, um, while I was working, I kind of like always had this little side hustle because I've always been kind of entrepreneurial. And uh, so at the at that time, I was building some blog posts and, and things like that. And I realized I don't remember how to write. And um, so I couldn't and it wasn't even that I couldn't type. It was that I, I couldn't keep thoughts in process uh, sequentially. And so for me to be able to sit down and try and write a blog post, I would just stare at the screen for hours and get out about three or four sentences. And I couldn't figure out what in the world was wrong. Um, and so I figured out pretty quickly, like, okay, I'm either going to learn how to outsource this and automate this, or I'm going to lose it all. Mm -hmm. Um, and so obviously when things like that happen, you, you, uh, you can't work for a multi-billion dollar project. Um, they, you know, they, doing math is kind of an important thing when you're, you're managing stuff like that. And so um, I actually got uh, not uh, laid off, but I went on uh, leave of absence for medical disability. And, um, and so over the next uh, six or eight months, um, we spent a lot of time learning how to uh, walk correctly again, talk correctly again without slurring speech, uh, remembering words. Um, it still hasn't all come back. So we play charades at my house a lot. <laughs> so, um, I'll be like, I'll be like, what's that thing that you, you put the, the clothes into and then they come out clean and, uh, you know, um, they'll be like the, the washing machine. And I'll be like, yeah, I could only think of dishwasher. <laughs> And, um, and so we, we, we kind of make a joke about it now and we laugh about it now, but, um, it actually turned into a, a blessing in disguise, uh, because I got really, really good at getting things off my plate and, um, 
outsourcing them and automating them. And so kind of marrying uh, up software and virtual assistants. Um, and so I got so good at it that people started asking me, you know, hey, can you do that for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, sure, why not? Um, so we started teaching other people and it's just kind of grown into what it is today. Wonderful. So you left that job, obviously, because you weren't doing math anymore. And then it sounds like you had quite a journey with the, the therapies and, and different things just to get to where you are now. Yeah. So six months was the short version. It actually took about two years uh, to be able to talk like this again and walk correctly. And there are still some days where um, uh, if I, we call them bad brain days, um, if I you know, wake up and things are just kind of fuzzy. Uh, I slur my speech a lot. And um, sometimes I still drag my leg a little bit. But uh, uh, for the most part, um, I'm, I'm doing really well. I've come to peace with the fact that uh, I'm always going to be at a second grade math level. And uh, I'm probably never going to learn all those words again, we'll play charades for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's great, though, because I've, I've learned how to to compensate my um, occupational therapists and physical therapists were amazing. And, uh, you know, they, they taught me how to implement it into everyday life. So I'm in a very controlled environment now. Uh, so if you go around my house, you'll see that there's, uh, little Google home minis, uh, everywhere. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they're actually set up to remind me to do things. Uh, so, you know, at at eight o'clock in the morning, the alarm goes off and, uh, it says, you know, Hey, Michelle, it's time to get up and brush your teeth. Um, and then 40 minutes later, another one will say, Hey, it's time for you to drink water and take your medicine. Um, and then one goes off at 10 o'clock that says, Hey, it's time to call your mom. Um, and, uh, and so it literally does that all day long. So I have this like little machine that just goes around and tells me what to do all day long. Um, which you probably, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, but, um, I, I wouldn't remember to do it otherwise. And so, um, we've gotten really, really good at taking my environment and, uh, creating, uh, a place where, um, it's, uh, able for me to thrive, which is awesome. Yes. And I'm really glad that your reminder told you to get on this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. It it went to three places. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So um, when you were going through the therapies and everything, um, are you um, married or was it, were you living at home or what support did you have during that time? Yeah. Great question. Um, So uh, I I am single. Um, So I had uh, a roommate at the time who was incredibly gracious uh, and was my best friend. And so, um, but in addition to that, my mom actually flew in um, from, she lived in Pennsylvania at the time. Uh, So she actually flew in from Pennsylvania and basically lived with me for about six months until we could get my environment where it was safe. And um, I wasn't, I would, you know, do crazy things like leave the, um, the oven on or the stove on. Or, um, I remember one day, um, I was trying to make coffee and I poured the coffee into the, the the water for the coffee into the toaster. Um, yeah, and it was plugged into the wall. So that was (laughs) not the best day. (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, so just things like that. So we, we set up a whole bunch of systems and it, it, uh, I was very, very lucky because I had, uh, in, you know, an incredibly supportive, uh, mom, my, my dad actually passed away when I was two. Um, otherwise I'm sure he would have been there too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I was, I was lucky on that front. 
Yeah, that is wonderful. And um, any advice for people who are going through something similar to what you're going through now? Yeah, um, it's okay to be mad. It's okay to cry. It's okay to go through a whole range of emotions and have no idea why. Um, I think that was one of the things that I got super lucky with was um, when when this all happened, I became very stoic. Um, I didn't really show emotion because I couldn't remember how to show emotion. It just, the brain connections just weren't there anymore. And, um, and so I remember my mom one day just crying saying, you know, don't you love me anymore? And I, I looked at her confused. Cause I was like, what do you mean? Of course I do. Um, and what I hadn't realized was my entire personality had changed. Um, and so I was very like cold, um, and I had to relearn how to be, um, for lack of a better word, um, how to function in society again. Um, because I, I was just very blunt and direct and non-feeling. It was, and it wasn't that I, um, didn't have feelings. I didn't remember how to communicate them. Mm. And so one of the things that I tell people, um, that are around, uh, people who have had a lot of brain trauma injuries is, um, if you're supporting them, um, the chances are they're going to get really mad and they're probably going to take it out on you and they don't mean to, um, it see it. What's weird is it seems like anger is the only thing that can still come out. Um, and so we don't, uh, it's something that we have to relearn, um, which is really a bizarre concept. Um, but I mean, my mom had been living with me for four months and that whole time she thought that, you know, I just didn't care anymore that I wasn't in there. And, uh, I was like, and, and I was confused because I, I didn't know, I couldn't tell. Um, and so I think that one, one of the biggest, um, aha moments that I had going through therapy, um, was, when my physical therapist said, you know, it's okay that things aren't going to be the same. And I was like, no, no, that's not true. I'm 36. Like, you know, I have the rest of my life. I'm, I'm not going to act. I'm not, I'm not going to be brain damaged for the rest of my life. Like it's going to come back. And she's like, Michelle, you got to come to grips with that. And you got to be okay with the fact that it's not coming back and you can either be mad about it the rest of your life or we can work on trying to make it better. And she kind of had a, like, uh, I'll call it a come to Jesus meeting with me, you know, like, like, you know, get your head out of your rear end and let's get to work. Um, cause it, it wasn't, uh, I was in a real bad space then. Um, it was, uh, probably, probably about two months after I found out that it was permanent and it wasn't coming back. I was, you know, the, the, uh, cause my, my 
identity was very much wrapped up into uh, my degrees and my job. And that was who I was. And that was stripped for me like overnight. Um, and uh, when I found out, you know, hey, that that life's over, that's never going to happen again. Um, I literally was like, all right, I'm just going to find the nearest cliff and I'm just going to drive the car off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was dead serious. And, uh, cause I was like, okay, first of all, if this ever happens again, the last thing I want is for somebody to have to feed me and wipe my butt for the rest of my life because I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I don't want to ever put anybody in that position. So let's just end it now. And, uh, um, fate, God, whatever you want to call it, um, had at that exact point in time called, uh, had my phone ring. Um, and, uh, it was my, my regular primary care doctor. And, um, she's like, Hey, Michelle, I was just calling to check on you. And I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like literally I was like getting in the car to like, um, and, uh, she's like, okay, well, um, she's like, you can always drive off the cliff another day. So, you know, how about we just take two weeks and see if we can make it better. And, you know, if we can't, then you can still drive off a cliff. And I was like, well, I don't like that answer, but it's relatively reasonable. So, (laughs) um, so I was like, okay, all right, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you two weeks. And, um, I had stopped taking my meds, um, which had, which, uh, one of the after effects of having, uh, the stroke was that I had seizures quite frequently. And, uh, so I had stopped taking the Depakote and I had stopped taking the Verapamil. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let it hit me. Um, and, uh, and she's like, okay, well, you know, we can always kill ourselves next week. Um, and for whatever reason that like resonated, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, my, my buddy, Michael, um, Cause I had kind of told him too. And, uh, and, um, which is funny because I was dead serious about it. And usually people who are dead serious, don't tell anybody, they just like, go do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, Michael was, he's very type a. And so like, I've never seen emotion out of Michael. And so I was like, well, it doesn't matter if I tell him cause he, he's not going <laughs> to <laughs> <gonna it>. react. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And so uh, so ironically, Michael's like, well, I kind of miss you not being here. And I was like, what, <laughs> you know? And, uh, for whatever reason, like that kind of stuck, it wasn't my mom that was like, oh my gosh, you can't do this. Like, you know, it was just the, you know, my doctor calling and being like, well, you know, you could always take your life next week. And my buddy, Michael being like, well, I kind of miss you that for whatever reason, that's what, you know, what got through, um, and sorry, I kind of went off on a little rabbit trail there, but, um, so I guess people are going through the same thing. You know, a lot of people are going through the same thing. Yeah. And I think what really turned the corner was when I gave myself permission to not be perfect anymore. Mm -hmm. When I, when I stopped feeling conscious about it, um, and I started telling people, Hey, I had a stroke. Um, I'm not going to remember words correctly. I'm probably going to slur my speech and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, for whatever reason, everybody else around me relaxed too. 
um, because they weren't panicked because without even realizing it, I had put everybody on eggshells. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of a jerk at that point. Um, no, I was a jerk at that point. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and when I started realizing, you know what, Michelle, um, you're lucky you're still alive. So how about you start acting like it? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I gave myself the grace to, to say, I have a permanent brain injury, it's never coming back and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that things really started to turn around and, and, and do a lot better. Beautiful. Yeah. It's so important that the perspective we take. So I'm glad you had your doctor and your friend in your life to be there right at the right moment. Yeah. Yeah. I got uh, pretty lucky. So, so are you able to drive still? Um, I still have my driver's license and I'm allowed to drive on good days. Um, but if it's a fuzzy brain day, um, I've made a deal with the doctor that I will not, um, put myself behind the wheel because my reaction time slows, um, and I could seriously hurt somebody. Uh, so yes, on good days, I can drive. Okay. And just back to a question I thought of a little earlier, um, when your mom was saying, you know, don't you love me anymore? And once you kind of started realizing that even through the confusion was, did you do anything to try and help yourself actually start to feel those feelings again? Like, I don't know, watching movies or, or practicing role-playing or anything like that. Um, yeah, for a while, um, in therapy, we did practice role play because I, I couldn't make that connection. That connection was just, it, it, it was gone. Um, so I, like, I knew that I loved my mom, but I couldn't figure out how to communicate that. Uh, it was like, it was, it was gone. Um, and so what happened, um, was in, in therapy, we started going over a, appropriate responses. Um, and so, for a while I was just faking it, you know, like, Oh, okay. This is the appropriate response. So, um, insert hug here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so then once I, you know, um, started doing that and, and relearning it, um, I was super lucky in that my brain was really young still. Um, cause I was only 36 when I had the stroke and I'm 41 now. Mm-hmm. Um, so my brain was actually able to, to reconnect, uh, some of the, Oh, you know, I'll have to tell me if I'm wrong. I think they're called neurosapsies, neurosapsies, maybe, um, there you go. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's basically just, you know, the way your brain travels to, to, um, send a message and then the response back and forth, um, those neurons that fire mine stopped firing. Um, and so, uh, we were able to, through a, a lot of therapy, um, uh, remap them for, for lack of a better term, which was awesome. And so now, um, it's easy for me to smile and laugh, um, uh, because I've remembered how to do that. That doesn't, um, always happened for everybody. So I got lucky in that I had a really young, healthy brain. Yeah, that is wonderful. And as you're talking about some of those things that reminds me, um, I, I, I had a vision therapy clinic for many years. And, um, so I worked with lots of people with autism 
and they deal with similar things where they're not connecting socially or they're not they don't really feel the feelings or don't know what's appropriate and not appropriate and it has to be trained yeah yeah and and it's uh, i can't speak for autism but um i can speak for at least my type of brain injury because there's so many different types of brain injuries that it's not fair to give a blanket statement and say everybody's like this but um um shoot <laughs> and there it was it's gone um sorry what were we talking about so we were talking about that um like autistic people have to be trained to oh learn. oh yes um and so for me it was in there um like i wanted to express it but i didn't know how mm-hmm. um and and apparently i thought i was and it was coming out very wrong <laughs> um which i think is what happens with autistic people too is they try to communicate and it just comes out very wrongly. Um, you know, uh, but, um, I, all I could tell my mom was, you know, mom, I, I do love you and I'm trying to tell you and, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to get there. Um, and, uh, but even to this day, um, she says that, you know, the, the, the old Michelle, we call her the old Michelle and the new Michelle, um, the old Michelle is gone. Um, I, I don't do the things that I used to do. Um, not because I don't want to, it's because I, I don't remember my personality has changed. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's interesting. So if you were to look at like an object from childhood, a very familiar object or a favorite object, I don't know, a teddy bear or something, does that elicit a memory for you? Or is that just like, it's gone? Yeah. Uh, so I was able to keep all of my long-term memory. Um, so what, uh, was erased, uh, was the, a lot of short-term memory, um, and the ability to hold things in sequences. So my doctor explained it like this. Um, think of your brain as New York city and there's a whole bunch of yellow cabs right everywhere right there's all this traffic and there's all these lights and and the only way that new york city functions is through the traffic grid and on the traffic grid we have a red light and a yellow light and a green light and he said uh your brain works exactly the same way it's it's new york city there's stuff flying through all the time and he said you know the only way that it works and everything gets to where it's supposed to go is that your brain has green light, yellow light, and red lights. And so it knows to hold this part up. Okay, wait a second for this. And yes, this one goes through. And uh, he said, your um, yellow and red lights have disappeared. So everything in your brain is a green light. And so um, what happens is I end up getting in accidents a lot. Those, those thought processes collide, um, like just happened when, um, you, uh, when I was trying to tell you something, what happened was the dog barked. And even though you can't hear it, 
um, I heard it. And so those two processes collided because the dog barked. Um, I couldn't remember anything else because it was processing dog bark and that got lost. Mm -hmm. And so a lot, it's very normal for me to have to say, what, what was I talking about? Um, because something has run into each other in my brain. Um, so the, the traffic grid is gone, which is why I can't do math anymore. Um, I can still tell you that, um, the things that are memorized, um, uh, like three times seven is 21 that's memorized. And so that's, that part of my brain wasn't damaged, but if I had to take that uh, and then add another step or add something else that throws a variable in it, I can't remember 21 to take the next piece to add it. And then, uh, so usually after, um, and, and when I first had the stroke, I couldn't even, um, do one step, but, what, but we've gotten me to the point where I can do about two or three steps. Um, it, but then I, I lose it. Um, so sorry, where were we going with this? <laughs> so you were saying that, you know, you're not doing math now because you have all the green lights. Oh yeah. Yeah. So the, the, um, the thing that I lost, uh, was the, the traffic grid ability. Um, so I no longer, uh, can pause or stop a thought feeling, um, emotion, uh, any, any, anything that would go to your brain as a piece of information, uh, it all collides at once. Um, so I can, I can remember long off memories, uh, that, that wasn't damaged. So so now you're on this podcast with me. Overall, you're having very little problems communicating. So you've oh. got your communication back. Thanks. And, um, and then you started automating your life with your little Googles everywhere. Yep. But you've done further than that. As you were saying, you know, you started automating other things. And then friends started asking you, Hey, how are you doing this? So how did that all come about? You had the, you had the, um, the blogs and different things. So how did that actually come about? Yeah. So, um, when we started in physical therapy, breaking everything down into processes. And so in the beginning, uh, before I, we figured out to use the um, Google, I would have a yellow sticky note that said, step one, brush your teeth. Step two, take a shower. Step three, take your medicine. Step four, drink at least eight ounces of water. And then I would have um, an alarm that would go off on my phone at noon that would say, it's time to eat something. Or uh, And so... Um, and then there would be a checklist. So everything was checklists. Um, and we did that for uh, like the simplest of things as far as um, before you go to bed, you need to do these three things. Um, and so when we took the, the checklist concept, um, it became very easy because I didn't have to hold that in my brain. Um and so I thought, well, gee, if we can do this for, you know, something really simple, like a morning routine, why can't we do it for anything? 
And so what I started to do was um, I would hit record and I would record a video of me doing something. And then I would give it to somebody and I would say, okay, can you take this video and can you make it in step-by-step sequential so that I have a roadmap to be able to go and do it again? Mm-hmm. And so we did that. And then um, we thought, okay, well, this works for you. What if we gave it to a complete stranger? Would they be able to duplicate it? And so we did. And then of course you find some holes, right? Uh, and then we, we fixed those holes. And, and the goal was uh, to take whatever task it was and have a step-by-step checklist so that you could literally hand it to a stranger off the street who had no idea how to do that. And they would be able to duplicate it exactly as if I did it myself. And so when we got good at that, I thought, all right, now we're on to something. And so uh, we, I then hired um, a team that I would record videos and they would create a standard operating procedure, which is nothing more than a step-by-step checklist of exactly how to do it. And because I have a, a very hard time with words, I usually need pictures too. I would have them go through and take pictures of the video that I recorded. Mm -hmm. So I did it three ways. So I had the video of me doing the task. Then we had a word document with step one, do this. Here's a picture with a little arrow pointing to click this. Mm -hmm. Then here's step two. Um, And so then we had not only a written document, but a visual document and a video so I could hear and see exactly what was going on. And when we did all three, it sounds like a colossal pain in the butt and extremely time consuming. But once that was done, I never had to do that task ever again because I could hand it off to somebody on my team and say, okay, now this is your baby. You go do this. And so what happened was I could get, get done, um, you know, about, 20 or 30 hours worth of work without me doing anything because I had just completely handed it off. And so my friends were like, man, I'm in business and I'm working crazy hours and you're getting more done than I am. And I, and you're not even doing anything. And so, so it's true. And so they're like, well, teach me how you did that. And so I said, okay, it's really easy. You know, you just hit record on your computer and, and you just talk through what you're doing. And they're like, I can't do that. And I'm like, why not? And they're like, because I look horrible on video. And I'm like, who cares? And they're like, well, okay. I'm like, all right, think of it this way. You record it on video and you get five hours of your week back. And they're like, oh, okay. I like that idea. So we started doing it with my friends. Then my friends told friends and they were like, and so it kind of started to become this crazy thing where I was like, okay, I need to automate this. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was I created a course, um, that basically taught people a to Z exactly a, how do you set up a system? B, where do you go to find a virtual assistant? Mm -hmm. How do you hire for a good virtual assistant? Cause there are some good ones and some bad ones. Then how do you set up a virtual office? How do you, um, manage things when, you know, people are, on other sides of the country or other sides of the world, you know, how do, how do you, how do you handle all that? And so basically I just did a complete brain dump of everything into, um, into a course that I created and we called it running on autopilot Mm -hmm. because once it's done, it runs on autopilot. Um, and so 
we did that. And, uh, and so we launched the course and, and people took the course and they loved it. We got a bunch of awesome feedback and then people started asking me, well, Michelle, that's great, but can't you just do it for me? And I was like, well, I guess, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and, uh, and they're like, well, I don't like editing my podcast and you hired a whole team to edit your podcast for you. Can you just edit mine too? And I was like, well, yeah, but I'm going to charge you more. And they're like, I don't care. And I was like, okay. And I was like, but I'm showing you how to do it where it's only going to cost you $10. And if I do it, it costs you $30. And they're like, okay, I don't want to have to manage it. I don't have to do anything. And so, um, the agency side was born, which is really weird, right? Because uh, that was not the intention at all. It happened by complete mistake. Um, it was just, I automated my processes. And as I did, my friends were like, well, can you just add me to your queue? And I was uh -huh. like, okay. Um, and so then we started taking people who were just you know, friend of a friend. And then, you know, people were like, Hey, I heard you do this, you know, can you do mine? Um, and so, uh, it ended up kind of being this crazy thing where we, like, we took everything. Cause, uh, one of the things that my staff does for me is, um, I don't listen to trainings myself. Um, you know, those like hour long webinars where you're going to get like three golden nuggets and you've just lost an hour of your life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't do those. <laughs> what I do is I make my team listen to them and take notes for me with pictures uh, and then they email it to me. <laughs> and so in three minutes I get the hour webinar. Um, and, uh, and so all my friends were like, Holy crap, do that for me too. And I was like, all right, but for $15 an hour. And they're like, sign me up. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, and so, um, but that ended up actually getting really crazy. Um, so we ended up focusing on like three very specific things um, that that people ended up really needing. Um, and so what we do is uh, we do podcast editing, we do video editing, um, we do lead generation on LinkedIn and Facebook. Uh, so we help people build relationships, not just spray and pray. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then... Um, Oh shoot. There's one more. I cannot believe I can't remember this right now. Um, you have your course. Then you're doing lead generation. Lead generation. Oh, course. Yes. Uh, so what we did was um, a lot of people said, you know, Hey, I do want to take this course, but um, can you walk with me through it? Can you help me get my first hire and help me set up my, my thing? So we, we created a, a group coaching program. Uh, so thank you. That's the third leg. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, it was like completely, uh, by accident that it all happened. And it was just cause I wanted to tell people what, what I was doing. Um, and so then I, I got even smarter and I thought, well, you know, if a human can do this, can a piece of software do it better? And so we started doing some research. And so we would find a piece of software that would do part of it. And then we would use our virtual assistants to marry uh, the missing gaps, right? Because like, for instance, um, a lot of people will transcribe a, a video. Um, I can't write anymore. Um, and so what I'll do is I'll hit record and I'll talk about what I would have written a topic about um, for five minutes. And then I use a, a program called Sonics. A lot of people use Rev or Timio, or there's a bunch of them out there. Um, and what it does is it goes through and it transcribes your, your video for you, right? So all the text is there. And then I have 
my team go in and they actually fix it, right? Because Sonics gets it about 95%, but it's still, you know, um, you know, I could, I could say red and, and it gets transcribed as read or something. Right. Um, and, and so by doing that, I can talk for five minutes and, uh, from that, a blog post happens an email happens and a whole transcription happens. It all happens automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we ended up, uh, creating, um, another course, uh, that I just give to people. So if any of your readers want this, just let me know. Um, and what I do is I basically go through and I show them every single piece of software that I use in the business to automate everything. Mm-hmm. And then I tell them how to marry in the virtual assistants to make it perfect to take it from, you know, kind of good because the machine did it to, okay, now a human touched it and it's better. Um, and so we've optimized both. Wow. That is so valuable because I know when it comes to the, anything, my, my, my weakness is technology. I mean, I'm learning, I've learned to do this. Someone showed me and then I've expanded on it, but to have it laid out, okay, I'm using this, this, and this, and this is how you marry it with an actual person. That is like uh, priceless. Yeah. And it's, uh, can I take you through a workflow and and just talk you through what I, what I would do? Um, so, so when I do my podcasts, um, what happens is after I'm done with the podcast, uh, it gets, uh, there's, um, something called Zapier. Are you familiar with Zapier? No. Okay, so Zapier is this awesome uh, software that will take stuff and move it from one place to another without you ever having to touch it. And um, so what happens is I record everything in Zoom and Zoom then takes a zap and sends it to Sonics where it then automatically gets transcribed. Then when Sonics is done, it sends an email to my team that says, hey, this podcast is finished basically go in and fix it. So then at that point, they'll go in and transcribe it. And then they, that part of the team knows to send it to the writing team, uh, where they'll then turn it into a blog post and upload, um, upload that to the website. So we're getting all that search engine optimization and all that good fun stuff. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, then what happens is, um, there is this super slick piece of software called repurpose.io. And if you take the video that you recorded, um, you can then upload it. And I don't want to blow your guys' mind, but if you're super slick, you'll use another one called onboarding. And um, what it does is it live streams everywhere. So it'll live stream on YouTube. It'll live stream on Facebook. It'll live stream on LinkedIn, um, Instagram TV, all that good fun stuff. And so you've taken my five minute or my, whatever, my half hour podcast, and now I've turned it into five different pieces of live content, but then we take it and we put it the same video, which happens automatically because what happens is repurpose.io is smart enough to grab it from the Facebook page. And what it does is it then goes through and it will push it um, about 10 other places. So it'll turn it into a podcast and automatically upload it to Libsyn. It will put your intro and your outro on there for you 
automatically. You can do the same thing in YouTube. You can put your video intro and outro on there. Uh, it'll then take it and cut it up into uh, about five different um, social media posts so you can promote the podcast. Mm -hmm. And so uh, for each podcast episode, it turns into probably 23 or four different pieces of content. And I have three pieces of software that do that. And then about four hours of human interaction and all that happens just automatically. And I don't have to do any of it, which is beautiful. That is beautiful. So I, I need that. <laughs> I'll, I'll walk you through how to set it up. It's pretty, it's, 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 it sounds horribly intimidating. It's actually unbelievably easy. Once, once everything's set up, it's literally, you just hit record on zoom and it, it, it does its thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sign me up, girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Happy to help. Thank you. Yeah. Cause I was just learning things piece by piece. And so it's great to have something so automated like that. Yeah. And we have, a so there's actually a bigger mission than just automating and getting time back. Um, May I go into that just yes. briefly? Yes, um, so when I decided we were going to do this, I decided I wanted to change people's lives and I didn't want to just change people's lives in the United States. Um, I wanted to break the cycle of poverty. And so we created a, uh, a slogan um, that basically uh, states, you know, free up your time while changing someone else's life. Mm -hmm. Um, and so my team is actually based in the Philippines and, um, I pay them a, the equivalent of about $45 an hour in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, so about the level of like an engineer or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and what happens in the Philippines is they're super multi-generational. Um, so in one house you could have grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, kids, and then their kids all living under the same roof. And if you can give one of them a really good job, they, it will change four generations because you'll be able to feed all four generations. And then what happens is, um, if, if you guys have never looked, the Philippines is, they are, absolutely amazing people. They just, they're just incredible. Um, and so they'll go out and they'll start helping their community too. So the kids now can be able to go to school and have the books and the clothing and, and the things that they need there, you know, there's food on the table, no problem there. Uh, but now they're going out into the community and the homeless, you know, they're giving them clothes, they're giving them food, they're, um, uh, religion is like super, um, central to their, their culture. So they're, you know, taking them to church and church is like an all day event where like you have service and then you eat mm -hmm. and then you socialize and then you eat some more and then you have service again. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it, uh, it ends up being this like huge community. And so, um, it's, uh, completely, uh, life-changing. And so we're, we're literally, um, breaking the cycle of poverty. And then also what we're hoping to do, we haven't gotten there yet. Um, but what we want to do is, um, we want to also put in, uh, wells, um, inside a lot of these cities and it's, it's, um, pretty inexpensive. It's only about $5,000 a well. And you would think, oh my gosh, the Philippines, there's water everywhere, but there's not clean water. Um, and so people who are homeless, uh, have a really, really, uh, hard time. And so, um, that's that, 
that's the actual overall goal of, of teaching people. What I know, um, is to actually, uh, change, um, to, to break the cycle of poverty. So that's the goal. It's beautiful. Thank you for doing that. Oh, it's, it's all my team. Um, I, I, I'm now, um, uh, the quarterback, right? I, I move things here, I move things there and, and, and just delegate and they kind of do it all. And, um, they're, they're like 110% in. So it's, it's pretty, pretty slick and cool. Beautiful. So if people want to find you or, you know, find out about your course, um, where do they find you? Yeah. Uh, so the, the best place to do that, um, uh, we have a website, um, but, uh, ironically, I spend more time on other people's websites than my own. Um, I should probably work on that, but it's, it's awesomeoutsourcing.com, all one word. Uh, but then the easiest way to get a hold of me, um, is I use uh, schedule ones to automate everything. Cause you know, that'd be pretty bad if I didn't follow my own, my own teaching. Um, so it's, um, just go.oncehub.com slash let's figure it out all one word. And that'll book you directly into my calendar and, and, uh, we can just chat and I'll figure out the, the best way to help you. And I'll, um, be happy to give you this, this link for show notes and stuff too. Okay, great. And then you have a podcast. So what's the name of your podcast? And yeah, about? <laughs> yeah. So the podcast is called automate to dominate. And, uh, the idea behind it is to set up, um, your business so that it not only runs on autopilot, but that it also creates multiple streams of income. So, uh, the goal with that is, uh, I get to interview a whole bunch of people who are a lot smarter than I am and figure out how they did it. And then we go and test it and break it and figure out how it works, um, and, uh, get it up and running. Um, so that is my bear the soul, uh, yeah, this totally didn't work. Uh, this is how I blew this up. Um, oh, hey, this one actually worked. Um, uh, kind of a podcast. And so, so my, my goal with that is to, um, to teach people how to create uh, multiple streams of passive income using automation and outsourcing. That is so wonderful. So thank you so much. And, and thanks for being on the podcast today and for everything you've shared. And I know it's going to be so helpful for people. Oh, my pleasure. I I'm an open book. I love chatting with people. I love helping people. Um, it's, it's really honestly what, what makes me tick. Um, now it's, you know, it's all about how much of an impact can I have? So thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. So I have one last question before we get off. What is your best advice on living an incredible, amazing life? Hmm. Don't take yourself too seriously. I think, uh, before this, the, uh, stroke, I was the, you know, corporate girl always never had a hair out of place, always the, you know, the, in the suit and, um, always worried about everybody's perception of me. And, uh, you know, when I let all that go, it was amazing. Um, when I gave myself permission to be me, um, it was amazing how awesome and, uh, fulfilling life became because, um, you know, the people that want to be around you truly want to be around you. Um, and, uh, and so it, it just got a whole lot more fun when I gave myself permission to not take life so seriously. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. 
And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, everybody. Bye.